0: Welcome
1: to the American Career Stories Podcast, where we talk to real people from every career you can imagine and have a little fun along the way. With your hosts, two women who bonded over their curiosity, Mindy and Michelle. If you enjoy the show, rate, review, and subscribe on
2: Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We have uh, Elizabeth Walton or who we call Liz Walton with us today. She is a pediatric sedation dentist, which means she sees children for dental procedures that require a little extra sedation called conscious or moderate sedation. She's been doing that for 10 years uh, after getting going to the University of Notre Dame and then the University of Michigan for her dental degree to be able to do pediatric sedation. And so we're, we're happy to have you here today, Liz, and we can't wait to hear more about your journey. So thank you. And of course, Michelle, my lovely co-host is with us too. Hi everyone. Thanks for being here, Liz. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about your journey. You mentioned that you kind of got to it in a roundabout way. So tell us a little bit about what you thought you would do when you were younger and how you ended up coming to dentistry as your your career choice?
1: Thanks for having me. You guys, I'm pretty excited to get to talk about myself (laughs) for so long. Everybody loves that, right? Um, I was when I was in high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was always, you know, doing really well in science classes and stuff like that. Um, My mom was a middle school art teacher. So I, you know, definitely imagined myself teaching. Um, and she encouraged me to do something else. She thought that I could have an easier lifestyle, maybe not work quite as hard and make more money. Yeah. So she had encouraged me to go into healthcare um, because I always tended to be kind of compassionate, but I was definitely interested in education. So we started to think about nursing and uh, we had a family friend who went to school and she was a nurse practitioner. And I was talked to her about that and stuff like that. Like that. So actually out of high school, I went to University of Michigan um, School of Nursing. And I was there for the, about the first year at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I just did, you know, the regular core classes, English, whatever, math, that kind of stuff. When I started taking nursing school classes, I kept hearing people say things like, are you sure you want to do this? You're smarter than the average nursing student. Right from the beginning, I was kind of offended by that because I felt that, I mean, this was even like The president of the nursing school said this to me, and I thought she ought to be encouraging me. Oh, wow, your grades are amazing. Why don't you get involved in this or that? Or why don't you think about this? But instead, she was saying to me, why don't you go to medical school? Um, And so I had enough of those kind of compliments and I started to kind of lose respect for the profession because I felt like these people at University of Michigan who should be, you know, extremely respected and respectful, didn't respect their own career.
0: I kind of like that that they did that because I do think that a lot of women will choose to go to nursing when they are smart enough to go a little bit further and and become a doctor or something, you know, a little bit more... I don't know what the word would be, but, you know, I think a lot of women choose nursing because they think women should be nurses. So do you think that was part of it for them? No, I don't know.
1: And obviously, ultimately, I'm grateful for those people that said that to me, because I really do love so much what I do. Um, I I would imagine yeah. sorry, that I would be very fulfilled with Um, nursing too. And I would have found a niche there also. But yeah, you know, I think it was part of me thinks, come on, we should be cheering women
0: on. Not that you can't be very smart and be a nurse. And that's fine. I agree. But I think sometimes we just don't, we don't open ourselves up to the possibility because, you know, of programming. Well,
1: absolutely. And my mom actually said that, you know, when I asked her once what she wanted to be when she grew up, you know, did you always want to be a teacher? And she said, I never wanted to be a teacher. She said she wanted to be an eye doctor. But nobody ever asked her, she said. And um basically, you know, her brother, mm. my uncle was sent to school to become a physician and she was sent to school to become a nurse or a teacher and get married.
0: It's kind of interesting.
1: So they, they achieved all those goals.
0: <laughs> it does sound like your mom was very active in helping you figure She was, this out. she
1: was. Um, she was also helpful too, because once I decided I didn't really want to do the nursing thing, she was encouraging me to spend time with my pediatrician and our family dentist. And of course, I didn't want to go <laughs> hang out with the dentist, you know, but I did it. I felt obligated. And when I was there, I found out that dentistry has such some certain benefits, it's extreme benefits over a lot of medicine. And that for me is immediate mm. gratification. Somebody comes in to the office, they've got a toothache or they broke a tooth or something like that. Um, they can get fixed up and head out feeling better mm. immediately, you know, and that really appealed to me. Whereas when I was with the pediatrician, So, you know, a kid would come in and, um, I remember this girl, she had a rash on her eyelids and the pediatrician said, well, are you using eyeshadow?" And she said, yeah. And he said, well, quit using it, put some Mm. lotion on your eyelids. And I was like, okay. And so she left and I was like, so are you going to bring her back and make sure it's healed? And he said, no, she'll call Mm. me if it isn't healed. And it seems so anticlimactic (laughs) to me. You know, I just thought, well, what? First of all, it's just kind of boring common sense. All
0: you did was talk to her and leave. It wasn't gritty enough. It's interesting you say that. I brought my son in once and he had an infection in his finger. It was like blue or green. It was crazy. And she actually, within the office, she kind of got her little toolbox and she got in there and I was like, she cleaned it out. And I was like, you know, she probably doesn't get to do that very often, you know, as a pediatrician. No, I don't think so. Probably not. So did you live in a small we town? Did, yeah,
1: in Michigan, in southwest corner of Michigan.
0: So your pediatrician and your dentist were available and, to you?
1: Um, you know, they probably knew my parents, too, because my mom probably taught their mm-hmm. kids. And we were family friends with the dentist family and things like that. Uh, oddly enough, it's funny because the pediatrician, one of his sons is a dentist now practicing ah, in the same town. Yeah. That's nice. So. So that was kind of fun. I had also, you know, I had experience as a kid with some immediate gratification of dentistry too. I had, when I was a kid, I had a gap between my two front teeth. Mm. And one day um, my dad said, well, why aren't you smiling anymore? And I said, because I don't like the gap between my teeth. And of course, you know, the reason I suddenly didn't like it was because some little girls were teasing me about it that day at school. Um, and he made an appointment, took me to the dentist, the same dentist that we're talking about. And he fixed the gap between my teeth. Wow. And I left there feeling like 100% new girl, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you fast forward then, you know, 15 years, and I'm still remembering that experience and how profound that was to me because to not want to smile is pretty
0: significant. It is. It is. And I do think that. Yeah, dental has that kind of impact. I would agree with you there. People yeah. get their braces yeah. off and they're like a new person, you so know. I'm,
1: you know, at the nursing school, deciding this maybe isn't quite right for me. I transferred from the nursing school to University of Michigan just the liberal arts part. But the school was really kind of big and intimidating for me. So then I transferred to Notre Dame where I then graduated from and that's where I did a lot of the soul searching of did I want to become a physician? Did I want to become a dentist? Um, I still remember the day I decided to become a dentist, I was on the way to I think a biology class or something like that. I was talking to one of my girlfriends who was feeling the same kind of way. And we both had some health issues. I was diagnosed around the same time with Crohn's disease. Mm. And it was difficult um, because it can be kind of stress induced um, flare ups. And so trying to study for the medical school entrance exam was really difficult. Um, I went to try and take one of those Kaplan classes, and they want you to take a pretest. Uh, I couldn't make it through the pretest. My stomach was making so much noise. People were complaining around me. It was awful. It was awful. Um, so my health also played a role mm. in that. And even that I feel thankful for, because, you know, if you can't cut it, taking a Kaplan class, you probably can't make it through medical school.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I did discover
1: later on that I think medical students had a little bit more fun than dental students. (laughs) I was just
2: going to ask that. What are the comparisons you heard from medical school versus dental school?
1: What I remember from medical school is we had um, similar classes. Like we took anatomy and stuff at the medical school. I think we had microbiology also was at the medical school. But we were doing all of our clinical stuff along the same time as doing the academics. Whereas in medical school, you tend to have four years of academics, and then you go on to your residency and internships. And that's when they have those long, horrible nights. And so we would be sitting at home cramming studying like mad for an anatomy gross anatomy quiz that was going to be on Friday morning but it's a it's a quiz but it has as much um, information on it as a final exam like you need to learn stuff fast in dental school and we're getting emails from the medical school fraternity about their party at their house that weekend and why don't you guys come over it's Thursday night let's come over and have a few drinks and we're like don't you guys ever study? You know, you're going to be saving lives. We're just fixing fillings and we can't go out. You know, we might be able to drink for a few hours Sunday afternoon. I'm kidding. It wasn't that bad, but it was, it was kind of intense. Dental school, I don't feel was particularly rigorous academically, but you had to be able to get through a lot of material and you needed to be efficient studying. You need to be able to remember stuff.
0: Is dental school shorter than medical school? Um, Dental school
1: is, uh, it's four years and uh, medical school is also four years. But the difference is at the end of dental school, you're a dentist. At the end of four years of medical school, you're a resident. And then you have to go on and pick your internship to be more specialized.
2: So you do your real your internship training during dental school, where the, where doc medical doctors do it after. Basically, yes.
1: However, if you want to become you know another specialty like an uh, endodontist who does only root canals or an oral surgeon, then you have to go on for additional years after um, your dental school. Mm-hmm. But um, for instance, for me, you know, I was interested in being a DDS. I graduated. I did do an optional residency, um, but you don't have to do that either. But that was, that was kind of how, how roundabout how I came up with being, a, becoming a dentist.
0: The immediate gratification thing makes a lot of sense. Well, also, as
1: dentists, you see patients more often. Yes. Yes. And you can, you know, you can establish a little bit more of a relationship with people than obviously, if you're a heart surgeon or something like that, you know, you're going to see people over and over, I guess, as a pediatrician, you would get to watch your patients grow up and stuff like that. But you know, if you're a family doctor, and you're only seeing their patients when they're coming in with the sniffles or something, I don't know, it just, after I started to really think about it, it wasn't so um, appealing to me.
2: When did you know you wanted to start uh, treating children?
1: I didn't know that for a while. When I was in dental school, I was mostly interested in the the cosmetic side of things, I think because I had had that experience with my front teeth. Um, And then when I was in dental school, I had um, the fillings replaced with veneers. I had the director of our cosmetic dentistry program do that, fix my teeth more permanently um, in dental school. So I was thinking more of prosthetics, like implants and complicated rehabilitation cases, stuff like that, like trauma, you or maybe, you know, cancer patients, you had a lesion in your jaw, and you had part of your jaw removed, how would I build you back up that Um, kind of thing. mm -hmm. I was a little bit more interested in that. And then I, you know, and then I just kind of came to Chicago, I started working, Chicago is the closest big city that wasn't Detroit, (laughs) because nobody wants to go to Detroit. (laughs) Even still, nobody really wants to live in Detroit, Poor Detroit. Um, Yeah, poor Detroit, (laughs) they got a good museum, (laughs) but they had to sell some stuff. So I don't know about that anymore. But I ended up with this series of kind of bizarre jobs. And I've always thought about... um, you know, I had a hard time getting a full time job initially, which I think is, pr- was pretty common. I don't know if it's so common now for young dentists, but it was pretty common then. And I always think about like, if I was going to tell my story of my career, would it be a novel? Could it be a TV show? What, you know, what format of media would it take? It would be a comic book, you guys. This is, that would be my life. It would definitely be a comic book. I worked for, I worked for someone who was arrested for insurance fraud, money laundering, trafficking minors across state lines. Oh no! I worked for someone who showed me naked pictures of Fantasy Fest. <laughs> I worked for someone whose paychecks bounced like every week. Um, I
0: mean, you name it, I did it. It. Are these one person dental, like owned by one person? Tell me about the, the actual office. Yeah. So they
1: were like privately owned offices. Um, you know, I told Michelle this a while ago when she started working with dentists, they said, just because you call us doctor, doesn't mean we're mature or professional (laughs) or anybody you want to spend time with, you know? Uh, so it's kind of been interesting. Um, to have these different experiences. And that's kind of how I ended up with wanting to treat children. Um, I had gone through these different jobs, ended up at, I was trying to, I was tired of having my paychecks bounce um, repeatedly, you know. And so then I found a job in Humboldt Park and that office was unique because they did Sedation for children who needed a lot of dental treatment. I was there just basically to pull teeth, to do backup for the oral surgeon who could get really overwhelmed even just with walk-ins. And I started to like on days when I wasn't very busy, I would hang out with the other doctors who and watch them start the IVs on the kids and do the treatment and stuff. Um, and that's when I started to get interested in children. Um, I saw what the other men were doing and I thought, you know, I can do that better. Mm. Um, and that's quite frankly what it was because I saw the benefits of the medicines that they were using for these children would make the kids not remember what was going on. It would make them unaware of passage of time. So you could do a lot of work on them. You didn't have to explain to them what was going on. You didn't have to wait for their cooperation. Um, but the men I was working for with didn't have really good chairside manner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They didn't really know how to interact with children. And that is something um, that has always come really natural to me. Um, I don't have any idea why. It's definitely just a gift. One of those things, you know, how can you explain? Some people can sit down and draw, you know, a frog in a million different styles. I'm just good at communicating with children. So when um, there was some change in state funding, and patients with insurance um, from the state were no longer going to be able to get um, dentures made, so a lot of people, they stopped coming for a lot of extractions. And so the people that I was working for asked if I'd be interested in treating kids. And at first, I was a little bit intimidated and thought, you know, I'm not really sure. Then we started looking into how much would it cost. Can I find a program? All this kind of stuff. Um, and I decided to jump on that opportunity. They were going to allow me to. They were going to pay for the class for me because um, it was, I don't know, seven or eight thousand um, dollars, and they were going to help me out uh, along the way and let me pay back the money slowly, that kind of stuff. Um, so I found a program. I basically called the director of the surgery program at university of Illinois in Chicago and begged him to do a program again. So he found some other people, um, made a class so that I could do that. It took me like six or eight months. Wow. Yeah. So I had to have time off I couldn't work the whole time because I had to go to class part of the time. Then once the class was over, I had to go back to the surgery department um, and do the cases. I had to start the IVs and things like that while um, the other residents were monitoring them and doing the work. So it took a while, um, but, you know, it paid off. And I really feel so fortunate to be doing what I'm doing today. Even today was so fun at work. Um, I wore, today I just did consultations. So this is all that I do. I only do consultations for sedation and then I do the sedations and the treatment that the children need. So today was a day full of consultations. So I met like 30 or 40 kids, found out about their health history, um, you know, if they're healthy enough to be treated in an outpatient setting like I have, that kind of stuff. And, um, I had on a t-shirt of baby Yoda and, uh, one of the little boys had it on, had a t-shirt of baby Yoda on also. <laughs> and so when I showed him my t-shirt, <laughs> he started giggling and he could just not stop oh. giggling because we both had baby Yoda on our shirt. <laughs> and it, it's just funny, you know, kids are delightful. They're unpredictable, which sometimes makes them scary. A lot of people find them scary because they're so unpredictable. Um, but I find it really refreshing. Um, the dentistry isn't challenging when you're treating children at all. Um, what And I guess I could kind of gotten bored with dentistry because you can control for almost everything, you know, and then um, as long as you get you know, a good prep, a good impression. You can predict how the crown or the filling or whatever is going to fit. And half of the time, the lab is making it for you anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. With kids, all bets are off. You never know what's going to happen. The dentistry is not a challenge, it's the behavior that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that really interesting because each kid that comes in is a new kind of like little puzzle. You know, what are their triggers? Mm -hmm. Um, What are they afraid of? Um, How are they going to communicate with me? Are they going to communicate with me at all? Because a lot of the autistic children that I treat are nonverbal. And it's just really, I I just think it's amazing. I had a little girl not too long ago. um, Usually to get them to open up, I do what you guys are doing and say, tell me about yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? What's your favorite color? Do you have a favorite animal? Who's your favorite princess, superhero, whatever, you know? Um, this little girl a little while ago told me, um, I asked her, what's your favorite animal? And she said, a raccoon. And I said, you like raccoons? And she said, no, I am a raccoon. Oh. <laughs> oh. And I said, oh, you are? And she said, yeah, because I stole lipstick from my mommy's purse and raccoons steal stuff. <laughs> And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we continued talking and a short time later she told me she's a werewolf. And I said, well, wait, so you're a raccoon and a werewolf? And she said, no, I'm not a raccoon. I was just joking, but I really am a werewolf. And then she went into this elaborate story which was so cute about how she's a werewolf and she has a friend who's a witch and then another friend who's a vampire and they wake up in the middle of the night and they meet in the woods and do monster stuff. <laughs> um, but she told me I'm not invited because I'd be too scared. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's just uh, treating children, I think is just so rewarding every day. Um, especially because, um, because like I said, I do have a natural gift for it. And I'm blessed to have three really, really good assistants. Um, And so every day someone tells us, oh my gosh, my child has never, you know, fill in the blank, opened her mouth, taken x-rays, smiled at the dentist, never, you know, done this without a temper tantrum. Um, So it's really nice to be able to think that I'm able to help these kids get this work done that they need to have done without further further traumatizing
0: them. Yeah, it sounds like you're a child whisperer. You you're yeah. like <laughs> <By> child whispers.
1: <laughs> it's it's funny. I I don't and I can't really tell you what makes us better, what makes us different. Um I have a few guesses, you know, I think that there are some personalities that are better than others. I think a flamboyant personality can be great because the children are like whoa this person walked in the room and fills up the whole room, you know, but I also have seen some very soft spoken people who are really, really good with children. Um, And I think it's because their energy is so low that that also the children kind of naturally
0: match it. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know.
2: I was just going to say, just knowing you well, and, and actually, as you described all of the attributes that you kind of went through in your job search, you're kind of doing all of those. I mean, nursing, you get more than a doctor. Normally you get more time with patients and working with yeah. them, uh, teaching your mm-hmm. assistants. Yeah, um, I know you do a lot of training with your assistants and that makes a huge difference in doctors. It does. I mean, I've seen yeah. it. Mindy, you've seen it.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see that you kind of came full circle. It is, you know, and I also do a lot of education um, with parents. And that's the most challenging. Talk about that a little bit. I don't have hardly I don't really have much time with them, you know. So over the years, I've figured out what um, what's the most effective way to communicate. And I've had some you know of those aha moments along the way. I remember when I was working in Humboldt Park, Um, this, the mother, the child was obese. Um, He was, I think, four years old, and he weighed 100 pounds already, um, which is, which was more than double what he should have been. Um, And I told the mom, you know, this is really, this is really terrible. And she said, Yeah, well, the pediatrician told me that he's um, almost diabetic. And so I sat down with her for a little while, and she hadn't really understood anything that the pediatrician had said, I don't think. I don't think she understood what was appropriate to feed um, the kid and stuff like this. And I just was having a really hard time understanding what she couldn't understand. And in the middle of our conversation, she mentioned Gogurt. you know, those things that the yogurt that comes in the uh-huh. thing that you push it up and suck it out of the top. And I said, no, go no <laughs> more go-gurt. And she looked at me and she said, but that's for children. Mm. And I, it blew my mind. And I thought, Oh, wow this is part of the problem that it's the marketing and the advertising The marketing
0: works. So
1: from her point of view, she was uneducated. English was her, you know, I don't even, I was going to say second language, but I don't think she really spoke much English at all. So for her to see things advertised for children, then it must be okay for children, which is obviously not the truth. So I also started, um, showing parents i have little tupperware containers and i put 1 tablespoon of sugar in in them and i show the parents this is 15 grams of sugar so if you're serving your child breakfast cereal that you know one serving which is usually like a quarter cup or half a cup so we're usually eating much more of that um if that breakfast cereal has 17 grams of sugar it's like feeding your child all this sugar and, and saying, okay, now go to school and behave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't wet your pants, be a good kid. Mm-hmm. Don't hit your sibling, but eat all this sugar, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, I found that that has been an effective way to get the message across too. Um, cause I think a lot of parents don't read the labels and they don't, they don't know what they're looking for.
0: And for a child, we've talked about this a little bit before, but what's the risk? Let's say the child is obese on the scale Mm -hmm. that you measure by, what does that mean for you as a pediatric sedation specialist? So that increases the risk
1: of respiratory arrest, which is the fancy way of saying the child might stop breathing while they're sedated. Um, So if the child is not in a healthy weight range, according to their, their height, um, whether they're a boy or girl and their age, um, then I will treat them. I'll have to, I send them to be treated in the hospital.
0: And what is your like common sense advice for parents with food and activity? What do you tell them?
1: Um, you know, kids really want their little exercise machines. They, as long as they're not already obese, They're going to run around and exercise. Mm -hmm. You just have to make sure that you only put healthy things in. Mm -hmm. If you don't put healthy things in, you're going to get garbage behavior out. Um, You know, and then it's this terrible cycle of the child goes to school, can't concentrate, gets in trouble at school, comes home, eats candy right before bed, can't sleep well, wakes up, is tired, goes to school, misbehaves. Um, There is no... I've had parents tell me, well, she's a kid. She's going to have candy. Mm. Um, no, <laughs> you know, I grew up. I, I think I'm fairly well adjusted adult. You guys, I don't know. Hopefully you would vouch for me. Sure. I didn't have any candy. <laughs> you know, I didn't have Fruit Loops growing up. Um, I, I think I'm a well adjusted person. <laughs> being a child, you do not have to have candy as a child
2: confusing for parents is the difference between candy sugar and sugar that's in everyday foods that's enough ne- mm-hmm. that's a whole different category right
1: yeah and it does become really complicated because chips are contribute to um, cavities really easily too um, because the carbs break down into basically simple sugars which is what the lollipops mm-hmm. are you know Um, milk, white milk has the same amount of sugar in eight ounces as Diet Coke. I mean, it's just really difficult um, to be able to explain all of this. And so when I ever get a chance um, during the consult days, I get chances, not so much during the IV days, but during the consult days, I spend a lot of time saying, and I list everything out. I used to say things like, no candy, or no sugar. Mm -hmm. Well, now I know that I have to say no juice, Mm. no soda, no milk in bed, you know, no chips, no cookies, no chocolate, no suckers, no all of this kind of stuff, no bread, no rice, no whatever. Um, And it turns out that the same stuff that causes cavities makes you gain weight too.
0: Yeah, that could work for adults as well. <laughs> it does. It
1: does. It absolutely does. So then I'll start talking about, you know, what you should eat. You should eat vegetables and protein. Um, fat, And you can't say protein, you know, you should eat vegetables and chicken or fish or meat or beef or pork, you know, all of those kinds of things. And what
0: advice do you give on the dental care side? Just... Basic. Brush your teeth, floss every night, every twice a day. You yeah,
1: do. yeah. Most of the kids aren't just not brushing the teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the kids. Um, you don't. You don't really end up seeing me if you're a well-behaved little angelic child, <laughs> which is, you know, which is also why my patients are so much fun because they tend. You to get the good one. Body. <laughs> And my assistants, no, I just love the naughty children. It's just, it's just so it's fantastic. So you end up with these battles of will. And the parents have frequently just given up, you know, I'm not fighting anymore. He won't brush his teeth. I'm not going to fight every night. Well, is he not brushing his teeth because he's a naughty little child? Is he not brushing his teeth because they hurt? Because he has so many cavities? Um is he refusing to follow instructions because he's so high on sugar and lack of sleep um, that he can't do anything, you know, responsible in any, in, for any part of his life,
0: right. you know? Yeah, it's probably um, a pattern.
1: Oh, it absolutely it is. And then it just snowballs and becomes more and more difficult. Um, and so you have to really try and break that pattern today I had two kids two four-year-olds who are still drinking milk from the bottle all day long and in bed
0: oh man Mm -hmm. so you
1: can imagine well maybe you can't so their teeth are terrible I'm gonna have to pull out a lot of them um and one of the mothers is telling me no I I'm not going to take the bottle away like well you know you need to make a change for your child's health so um I used to when I was younger, too, I used to be a little bit more polite and say, well, you know, you should do this. You should do that. Now I say no more bottle, no more bottle, no more milk in bed. I do
0: think it helps to hear it very directly like that. I think that is a important because there's no equivocation. So they're like, OK, if I just follow this rule, it'll get better.
1: Right.
0: And I know how important it is like. Maybe they think, oh, it's not that big a deal because the doctor is not being that firm about it. Um, yeah,
1: I think you're yeah. right. That's a good point.
0: So you, what are the, some of the other things that you do? Like you talked about how you wear Yoda shirts. So wh- I know you do some other things to kind of like relate to the kids that make it kind of fun for you. So what else do you do?
1: Yeah, we were always um, before before COVID. I threw them away, um, but before COVID, we were always wearing superhero. Um, uh, capes um and then I had me and my team and then I would have I had a bin full of capes so that the kids when they came in they could pick which cape you know which they wanted to wear um which was a good you know made them feel more comfortable um you know everybody you can be more brave obviously if you're dressed up like your favorite superhero but it also was a good icebreaker um because kids don't you know they don't want to look at you and tell you their name. They don't want to even look at you at all. Um, but they will tell you why they chose Wonder Woman or, <laughs> right. you know, why they're wearing a Hulk cape, you know, because you can definitely get a Hulk cape, even though Hulk does not wear a cape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy a Hulk <laughs> cape out there. It's totally no bro- no problem. <laughs> um, so that helps. I always would try and wear silly headbands. Um, if the kids come into the office near their birthday, I'll give them a birthday hat to wear. Um, we re- we give out stickers all the time.
0: In your role, it sounds like you can create the culture that you want or that you think is helpful. Yeah. You have the ability to do that in your role.
1: Yes. Um, which is really nice. The company that I work for now has really, they just, you know, they're just fine with anything I want to do like that. Um, and I think it, it helps us stand out a little bit. Um, it helps us be less scary. Um, and I think it also helps with the parents because uh, a lot of times they're just as scared because they've heard just like all of us have, they've heard all of the, you know, terrible things. I just got an email today about another kid in Wichita who, who didn't make it through dental treatment with sedation.
0: Oh man.
1: So it's important. I'll have parents who call and say, I'm coming from four hours away. Please do the treatment the same day. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, you're really going to trust me without even meeting me. If you want me to sedate your child, it's not going to happen. If you were thinking clearly, you wouldn't be asking me to do that. You know, it is a bummer when the patients have to, when they have to drive that far to see me. Um, But I think it's really important for us to get to know each other, for the parents to start to feel comfortable with me and trust me. Um, And I think it's important for them to be able to go home and think about it, um, talk to their family, ask questions, call me back. Because that is one of the things um, with my patient population, it's multiple people raising each child whether it's the family, the father and the mother are no longer together, or the grandparents are involved heavily or an aunt or an uncle, you know, there's so many different people that um, the parents really need to go home and talk with all the other caregivers.
0: Yeah. Why would, why would someone have to drive so far to see you? It's an
1: access issue. There are just so few people that have the training that I do that people from Southern Illinois uh, frequently it's, it's usually Southern Illinois that are that far away. They have to come all the way up. I have patients from Peoria. I have patients that come from so far away that the state will pay for a hotel room. It'll pay for their rental car to get up here. Um, because in Illinois, I think in most States probably, but we have such good public insurance that every child is given everything that they could possibly need. Um, Without any issue of, well, there's no one here to do it. If there's no one in your area to do it, the state will pay to get your kid where someone can do it. It's really fantastic. So,
0: my guess is then that there's not a lot of people that do what you do. It would be like if there is interested or curious about this role, there's lots of opportunity.
1: Right. Um, So, it's difficult to get the, to find a program. Um, where you can get certified. And like I told you, it can cost Mm -hmm. $10,000. You have to take time off work, you're not going to be able to get paid while you're, you know, you're earning this certification. And it's also something that most people are not willing to do, you know, you get out of dental school, you're not going to start wanting to start IVs on kids without having someone there who can really mentor you. Mm -hmm. So it's not really within the um, realm of possibility for a lot of people. Even the programs for pediatric dentists are not teaching this. Most of them only do oral sedation. Mm.
2: Why is that? Do you know? It's just not part of the
1: curriculum. Yeah. You know, I don't really understand Michelle, honestly, because when they're doing oral um, sedation, a lot of times they're using medications that I don't think are are safe for children. Mm -hmm. They're using things like Demerol, which are, um, physician colleagues will not use for children. So why would we use it? You know, yeah. um, And Demerol is frequently involved when there's an accident, respiratory arrest. It's frequently that Demerol has been used. Mm. So I don't really understand. There's a lot of, some of the benefits of IV is that if you need to administer an emergency medication and you already have an IV started, that medication will have an impact in the child faster than doing a, um, an injection into their muscle, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my opinion, I think that what I do is a lot safer yeah. than what the pediatrician, pediatric dentists are being taught. Um, and I think it, it, it's some, we're almost at a breaking point um, and something's going to have to change. Either people are going to have to start embracing the fact that children need to be sedated And the hospitals can't do all of it. Um, Because even here in Chicago, for the kids like Mindy, you were talking before about the kids that are underweight or overweight or obese that I won't treat. Then, you know, sometimes they wait three or four months to get a consultation with me. I find out I can't treat them. Now I send them to the hospital. They've got another six months wait, you know. So either programs are going to have to start accepting that these children need sedation and need help and we need to be better educated um or i don't know or we're going to not be able to do it anymore and the children will, non- will not be treated and we're going to have a lot more kids start dying from brain infections um and respiratory arrest because of dental infections it happens oh my maybe gosh. it happens yeah it's really terrible
2: so i'm thinking along the lines it's it's a Medicaid population primarily
1: it is it is,
2: is you see, you know, obviously, Medicaid population, there's all always seems to be an issue with access and
1: Mm -hmm. um, a
2: lot of things that that's not available to that population. Right? What about private payers? Do they um, traditionally not cover an IV sedation? Yeah.
1: So yeah, so most of the private insurances, uh, like if you have Delta Dental, Um, you have it through your job. So your child is on your um, on your policy, they will not cover IV sedation. So you will have to pay out of pocket. And you will also have to pay out of pocket for a certain percentage of each thing I do on each tooth. Um, So it can end up being really expensive. So patients that come see me that have private insurance and not um, state aid, We'll have to pay sometimes um, as much as four thousand um, dollars, easily to two thousand dollars. Yeah. Whereas the the kids that have public aid, everything is covered for them.
2: Wow. So it's more of a payer driven issue of you know based on treatment level. They prefer to have a child fully sedated and pay for that treatment versus the IV? You
1: know, honestly, that I don't know about. So like, I think if you go to the hospital, then you might be going through health insurance. Um, yeah. And that, so that I don't know, cause I've never done mm. it. Um, but um, the majority of dental decay is in um, the lower socioeconomic levels in this country. Um, it's pro- that's probably true worldwide, but I, it's definitely true for America. And so that's why the majority of the patients that I see who need to be sedated are on public aid. Um, but I, I guess I don't quite know the answer to your question, Michelle.
0: How quickly does a, does a cavity in a, in a children's tooth move? Like if they have to wait four <laughs> months to see you and then six months to go to the hospital, how much worse is it going to mm-hmm. be by the time they get there?
1: yeah a lot of times then they're just extractions. Yeah. You're absolutely right. um It's something that's really kind of interesting, and I talk to the patient the parents about this a lot because they'll say, Well, I don't understand you know I didn't see anything in the kid's mouth um three months ago, and then the other dentist said that it was just a filling, and now you say it's a silver crown um, so the anatomy. Uh, of a baby tooth is not at all the same as a, a, as an adult tooth. Adult teeth are shaped differently. Um, So it's, it's kind of easier to not keep food stuck in between your teeth Mm. because of the shape. Um, They adult teeth have more enamel, it's thicker. um, So it takes more time for the bacteria to get through the hardest, densest
0: Mm -hmm.
1: enamel into the dentin. The dentin is the soft um, portion of the tooth in between the enamel and the nerve of the tooth. Mm -hmm. The baby teeth have bigger nerves. So Mm. once it gets through their tiny, thin layer of enamel, it just shoots right through the dentin really quickly into the nerve. Mm. So it's very common for a kid to say, you know, I don't have any problems. And then six months later, all of a sudden need extractions because they've got infection.
0: Oh.
1: So you're absolutely right. It can be significant changes in that amount of time. I've even had last week, I had two kids who, for whatever reason, I did the consultations in March and they didn't come back until last week and their treatment had changed significantly and it was a lot
0: more extractions. Oh that's heartbreaking to hear.
1: It is. It's a bummer. You know, it's also, it's a bummer. It makes me feel bad because, you know, I didn't really get into this work because I wanted to pull teeth on kids. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. You know, I know that you also do a lot of education of your assistants. So did you, is that something you just realized along the way? Like, Hey, I need to get these people, you know, up to speed or is it more like I want them to do it this way. So I'm going to teach them. And what do you do to keep them? You said you have three really great assistant. So what have you done to kind of help them grow in their career? Um, those
1: are good questions. So I, I guess it's a little bit of, of both things you said. I They go for a basic certification, Um, when they're going to start doing sedation, but most of those classes are geared more towards adult patients. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be talking more about the impact of maybe heart disease or high blood pressure on a sedation. Um, Whereas I'm never going to have that, you know, what we need to talk about is, um, is it safe to sedate a kid with Down syndrome? No, not for me you know, that needs to be done in the hospital. So, um, you know, once they get that base, once they got that basic certification, I had a lot of um, filling in the blanks to do for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also want them to understand my reasoning. Uh, It's a lot easier to, you know, like follow the rules that I've established, if you understand why they're there. Um, So I spend a lot of time educating them on why, um, why will only sedate kids that are in a healthy weight range, Um, the different the impacts of different, like congenital um, issues on safety of sedation, those kinds of things. Um, Even the vital signs that they learned are not accurate, you know, kids don't have the same blood pressure numbers, healthy blood pressures, they don't breathe as many times, you know, this kind of stuff um, as adults. So there's a lot of specific education that they needed to know, um, to be able to treat kids. Um, Luckily, they all um, are pretty natural with Mm -hmm. kids themselves. Um, So I didn't have to, I didn't have to address that. And it hit it is, uh, I have had some changes in my team over the course of my time at my company where I am now, but I've been able to keep them with a positive attitude. Um, I've been able to encourage them to grow in other ways too. They're really interested in that education. I've brought in people to do hands-on classes for CPR certification and stuff like that and provided that for my team myself. And I've try to be as open as I can to anything that they want to learn, even things that are not dental oriented. Mm -hmm. So if they want a topic, like, um, we were having a training day, and I asked them what they wanted to talk about. And is there anything, anything at all? And one of them was really curious, she wanted to know about the dark web. So I did some research and we talked, we talked for like 20 minutes after everything that I wanted them to do. Then we talked about the dark web for a while. Mm. And I started to do that because um, I was realizing that they were asking me a lot of questions about regular life. Yeah, And I thought, you know, I forget people, people assume, you know, you're a doctor, so you know what's going mm. on. And, you know, um, what the issues are and explain it in an easier fashion to them. So I want to try and be as, um, you know, as supportive of their curiosity as I can. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. That's a great idea. <laughs> uh, they really like it. That's awesome. What now? So you've been doing this for 10 years. You really still enjoy it. I do. It sounds to me like somebody needs to hire you to design their program to teach assistants. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, I really do. I really do like mm-hmm. that, um, and I think I will continue to, you know, have that be a goal. Yeah. Um, or you can
0: create your own course on Teachable.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I do have. Um, I give them a pre-class quiz mm-hmm. um, that they have to do beforehand, and they you know they're allowed to do it together and everything like that. Then mm-hmm. I give them an in-class quiz um, because I always found that helped me learn, you know, these are learning tools, like, okay, so some of the one, the things that I hammer into them are like, well, what pulse ox reading, you know, what percentage of oxygen would read on the monitor that would mean we have to start doing CPR. And so I'll have stuff like that. Um, And it's really easy once that comes up in lecture, oh, that's the That's it. Write it down, you guys. Did you hear what she just said? That was the answer. That was the answer. (laughs) And then we'll do an after um, course evaluation, um, which I know are annoying and everybody wants to hurry up and get rid of them, but they can, they've given me some help information too.
0: Well, yeah. And you can see how much they've learned and they can see how much they've learned, which is nice. Yeah. So what are some of the perks of being a dentist? Just some of the things that you wouldn't necessarily think about and what are some of the challenges? Um, I'd also like to talk a little bit about how pay is structured because it's obviously going to be different for, you know, it's not going to like, you just get a straight salary. It doesn't work that way.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. That's, those are good questions. Um, cause it is a little, uh, pretty different than the rest of the world. Probably. Um, I would say, oh, I think a, a really rewarding thing is that you can take a dental degree and even though that's pretty specific, you can go in all sorts of different you know, areas like you can end up doing something like I did, um, which I was not interested in at all, you can become an orthodontist, um, where you barely need to touch a handpiece at all, um, where you just don't do anything with decay, you can, or you can do have a practice and just, you know, see a basic, you know, you can, you can live in a rural area, and no, not do any crown and bridge or anything like that, and just do like really big fillings and dentures and stuff like that, um, which I think is really nice. So even though, you know, it's one specific degree, there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of um, aim your own practice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is kind of how you present yourself online and stuff like that, what insurance you take and things like that. Um you do need to be good with your hands. Mm. Um, and you need to have kind of, um, need to be a little bit. Um, I don't know what to say without kind of insulting dentists, but like, you need to be like a little anal, a little type a, because we're talking about, you know, millimeters, Mm -hmm. you can't have an open margin, even if it's like, a 10th of a millimeter open. You can't have that, you know, so you need to be very detail oriented. That's better. You need to be detail oriented and you need to be, you need to be good with your hands because like I was talking to you before about, um, challenges with behavior with kids, you don't want the dentistry to be a challenge or you're going to have a really frustrating life, you know? Yeah. Um, so you need that. And that was one thing that was really helpful for me is that, um, the hand skills were pretty easy for me. I could catch up. I could do that pretty easily. I just had trouble staying in the library and studying. (laughs) Um, But then as far as pay, um, when I was a new dentist, you can, a lot of contracts will be something like this, like, okay, well, you come work for us, we'll pay you $600 a day. Uh, But when you start to produce or make do so much work that you, pr- that you make more than that will start to pay you on a percentage. When I got out of school, it was pretty standard to get um, 40% of your collection. Now, there's a big difference between production and collections. Production is how much you bill at the end of the day or whatever time period for everything you've done. So I did this, this many fillings, um, each one of them costs $125. I did these many cleanings and exams. This is how much each of those costs. That's what you produced. Collections is how much money you brought back. So how much was actually paid for those fillings, Mm. um, because when you take, when you participate with insurance, you know, I might have my fees and say, I'm going to charge $125 for this kind of filling, but Delta Dental will say, okay, that's fine. You charge what you want, but we're only going to pay you a hundred dollars mm-hmm. and you can't ask for that money from our patient.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. It's kind of, it's an oversimplification, but that's kind of how it yeah. works. So you get most people on their contracts will get paid, um, Not on production but on collections, which is kind of rough when you're a young dentist. I almost said a kid, because you are not responsible for your own collections, but you are responsible for all the work you do. So then it's kind of like, well, you know, if you the company or the office isn't collecting all the work that I've done, it's not my fault. I still want to get paid. You know? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I can see how that would create some tension between the dentist and the biller people or the, you know, the administrative people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you do not want to accept even a single mistake. And in reality, there's going to be little things here and there, sure. but I'm definitely watching my charts and, you know, Oh, we didn't charge for that x-ray. Let's charge for that x-ray. Right.
0: So how does that change if you own your own practice?
1: Um, so then, you know, you're still going to want to pay yourself, you know, but you're going to be thinking about, um, that 40% that I mentioned to you before is not the same. Now, a lot of, a lot of, I almost said kids again, a lot of people right out of dental school, um, will, you know, only get 28 or 30% Mm. of their, uh, um, of what they, of the work. So, and the reason that has come out is because of the overhead. So when I was out of school, it basically a healthy practice, 40% would be your pay because 60% was the, the overhead for the office. Right. So your biggest cost would be, um, paying your staff payroll is always the highest, you know, part of your thing. Then you're going to pay for supplies, um, you know, the filling material, your instruments, mm. but also your toilet paper and your copy mm. paper, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so then if you own your own practice, you're going to want to keep those costs down as much as you can. But it becomes, you know, a whole other headache. Like you want to keep payroll down because it's the highest thing. But, you know, you're going to get more quality people the more you're able to pay. Right. Because those quality people are going to get paid for. Mm-hmm. You know, you can definitely hire the um, high school kid down the street to come in and work after school, (laughs) but is she or he going to be paying attention or texting all the time?
0: So do dentists generally go and work for someone else's practice before they would open their own practice? I think a lot
1: of people do. Um, And I learned a lot when I was doing that, actually, I probably, and to be honest with you, I probably learned more from the assistants that I was working with than the dentist that I was working for, because those women were next to me and they were seeing what I was doing. Um, I had this one assistant, um, she's so amazing. I worked with her in Humble Park and that's where I was doing a lot of extractions. Um, and I hadn't really done that many after dental school. Um, And she taught me, you guys, she taught me how to do extractions without even telling me anything because she'd hand me the instrument that I needed. Mm. And she was so, uh, she was so good. She'd been doing it for so many years and working with an oral surgeon for so long that she knew exactly what needed to happen. She could see the tooth. She was involved in the treatment too. Um, She'd hand me the instrument. A couple of times I would say, that's not what I asked for, you know? And then she kind of rolled her eyes at me and gave me the same thing again. And I caught on pretty quickly and she knew what she was talking about. You know, she was right. That's, that was the instrument I needed. And she was able to teach me without embarrassing me in front of the patients, Mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, really key. I did have classmates who, when we graduated, went right out and started their own practice. Um, And you know, at the time I thought, oh my gosh, you know, how we had the same education. Um, And, you know, I don't know, maybe your grades were better, but my hand skills are better. What makes you feel so much more qualified than I do to go out and practice? Yeah. Right. On your own, off the bat, you know? Um, So some people are capable of that. Uh, Maybe if you have a parent who already has a dental office, you know? maybe if you've already been, um, a lab technician, cause I had some of those in my class. I also had, um, in my dental school class, I had a couple of women who had been hygienists,
0: yeah.
1: um, some people who had been dental assistants, stuff like that. So, you know, the more experience you have, obviously the more confidence you have. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I graduated in, 2004. Um, So times have changed a lot since then. Um, And I would bet that even more people that are graduating from dental school are going to be working for other people before they open their own office. Yeah. It's also expensive. Yeah. It is really expensive. It is one of the most expensive um, professional offices to set up. The only one that's more expensive is a vet's office because they're, you know, they're setting up, they need surgical suites Mm
0: -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
1: So yeah, it's pretty intense.
0: Do you know if the University of Illinois is still doing the certification program that you did?
1: Um, I don't think they are because I was trying to get some other younger people at um, my company certified. Um, and they weren't able to find one, there was going to be a program, somebody was going to go to one in Michigan, I know somebody who went to a program in Seattle. Um, that's rough, because you got to take time off work, then you got to pay, you know, I was lucky that I could do it right here in my hometown. Um, I didn't have to pay for hotels or airfare or, you know, food, right. I was just living at home. Um, but I think UIC, I don't think they're doing that one anymore.
0: One of the things that always surprised me about dental is that the assistants really don't need any education. They don't,
1: they can, they can have education. There are some programs in community colleges, um, and you can get certified that way, but most of, you know, most of the people are gonna, your dentist is going to want to train you specifically anyway. Um, and then, you know, and then there's the assistants will say like, oh, they went to school, they know the names of everything, but they don't know how to use them, <laughs> you know, or they don't know when they should be using the suction, but yeah, you know, they can sharpen a uh, instrument, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of benefits of a formal education, but um even you know like I said i my assistants have that some formal education, but i still we still do a lot of supplemental
0: training yeah wow so what's what's next for you? What's the future look like? Do you think? Do you know um, you know where you want to take your career next?
1: You know, I don't honestly know, and I wonder that now too um, because. I mean, we're all getting older. I think me not having children really has helped me have patience for kids at work. Mm -hmm. And I do kind of wonder, it hasn't happened yet, but I wonder, you know, am I going to be able to do this straight up until retirement? Yeah. Um, am I going to get less interested in it? Do I want to open my own practice and, um, train other younger dentists to do what I do, um, because there's such a great need, um, that this patient population is just completely unserved. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to say underserved, like they are unserved. Mm -hmm. You guys, if you have to drive four hours for your kid to get treated, you are unserved, you know, it's just ridiculous. So all of those things have kind of crossed my mind. Um, But it's also, I'm not really, I'm not particularly interested in going back to regular family dentistry. Um, So I don't know. I'm not really sure. Definitely enjoying what I'm doing now. Well, that's great. Yeah. And I'm trying to, just like you guys said, I think I'm a lifelong learner. Mm. I'm always reading something. I've got a whole pile of books over here (laughs) about um, what you can do to make you know, help your child's anxiety. Um, I'm learning a lot right now on um, airway and kids that snore and how our jaws are not growing to the full potential (laughs) that they used to like drink for prehistoric people, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, So I'm interested in that. I don't know if um, it's something that I become interested enough in to try and start treating because that would take a lot more training too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you know, probably the the knowledge is good for you and every day for the things that you're already doing just to kind of educate others and be well-rounded. So that makes sense. It sounds like you're pretty stimulated by what you're doing and still happy doing it.
1: I am, I am, but you know, it is super important. One of the women, um, I think it was the woman from Tulane, Mary Rose. Oh, Mary. Mary yes, Rose, yes. I think it was Mary Rose who said how important it is to stay current mm-hmm. in your profession. And I think that uh, when I was listening to that, I thought, "Oh my gosh, she's so right." Yeah. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and that that's one thing that can help you be prepared to be a little bit more um, versatile in in your profession. Like Michelle was talking about, you know, okay, there's a business degree, but then what do you do with it? <laughs> the more up to date you are in your field, the easier it is for you to slip into a different role.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're like ready for the opportunity when it comes along. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got to be able to jump on yeah. it. Michelle, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask?
2: Yeah. Quickly. I just wanted you to highlight a little bit about your mission work. Oh, oh that my that gosh. I forgot of.
1: about that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, all of your attributes, like I said earlier, just kind of, um, Fall in line, and I think there's a lot of people that want to be in traditional medicine, but maybe they kind of see um, they prefer to be in opportunities to help people in different ways, especially underserved. So yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so that was actually that was kind of how Michelle and I met right before I went away, on so it was my very first mission trip. Um, I I think it was I went to. Paraguay. Um, somebody that I had gone to dental school with, um, he was going to go to Paraguay with his brother's church and they had nurses and physicians, optometrists, all these kinds of different people. And he was going to be the dentist. And he said, you know, I went last year and I couldn't treat all the people that I needed to treat. Will you come? And I was like, uh, Okay. Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of interesting because I had it was very short notice. It was like um, two weeks notice. Um, But I found a ticket that wasn't astronomically priced. I just had to scramble for a visa to get a visa from Paraguay. Um, So it's interesting because I really do like doing the work that I help here for children that can't have treat, just really don't have access to care. Well, there are countries that are so incapable of, you know, of anything, even feeding their people, um, that they're certainly not able to provide dental treatment, you know, in Paraguay, um, I think Paraguay is the poorest country on earth. Mm. Um, or it's right down there at the bottom, you know, maybe tied with Bolivia, whatever, Uh Haiti, you know, I'm sure is down there too. Um, So I got to go on a trip and um, treat people there. And it was extremely rewarding. Um, And I brought M- Michelle back a nice little souvenir, I think from, cause I went to Argentina too. That's one of the benefits too of travel is you might as well just tack on a few extra days, maybe, <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, but then I started the year after that, I went to the Dominican Republic um, and that I did for longer. I was there for um, about a month and a half, two months. And that was really fantastic because I was there um, through the, through a program that's with, um, Creighton university mm-hmm. or Creighton. I can never, I never pronounce it the right way. Um, it's a Catholic school. And, um, I was there overseeing two dental students. So they were doing most of the work. Um, and that was a fantastic experience. I did that twice also, um, in the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. I stayed with a family in the campo. Um, and it was just amazing. It was amazing to go back the next year and to see them again. It's just, it was really fantastic.
0: What did you find most rewarding about it?
1: Um, the relationship. Yeah. You know, but it was also like when, when I was in Paraguay, um, there's some some people really stick out in your mind. You know, mm-hmm. um, there was a little girl. She was a really good looking girl. She, she wasn't little girl. She was probably like teenager. Maybe she was 15 or 16. She was really beautiful, really good looking. Um, and her parents were, they were all crying and really upset and everything. And I was like, well, you know, what's going on? Um, they don't speak Spanish. Um, a lot of them didn't, didn't even speak, um, whatever language they're supposed to speak there. They spoke some, um, local dialect. Mm. Um, so we had a couple people there who could translate for us. Um, and I think they were trying to learn Spanish too. Um, but they, you know, most of them didn't really speak Spanish. They went to school to learn Spanish, but they spoke this other, you know, native dialect Well, they were crying because they thought I was going to have to pull out her bottom adult forefront teeth. And I said, no, 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 no. She doesn't need these teeth pulled out. She just needs a cleaning. She had calculus and, you know, like the plaque, the stuff that you brush off your teeth hardens into calculus. And that's what we scrape off when you come to the dentist. They were so excited that I didn't pull those teeth out, that she didn't need that. They were hugging and then they were crying for that. Um, But it was really significant for this girl because um, the only opportunity for a girl like her is to get married. And she's only going to be able to marry a wealthier person if she's good looking and has all her teeth. Mm. So by not pulling her teeth out, by cleaning them and making her more attractive, you know, we basically secured her future and maybe the future of her family too. That's insane. Um, so there's experiences like that that are just really so significant that you're never going to forget. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I hope she's doing well and she's happy, and you know, but it's um, it's not it's not at all like like here today, right?
0: <clears throat> wow, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. I really feel
0: like you're making, I mean, you did. You made a huge difference in, like you said, her life and the entire family. Wow. That's mm-hmm. so cool. So do you do do you take a trip every year? Like how do you allot that time in I haven't
1: done a trip for a couple of years for I haven't done a trip for a while. Um uh, Michelle and I were talking about going. Um, there was a group we found, but we haven't been able to make it happen yet. Um but you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, there's a a lot of Americans that need your help here. You know, why are you traveling other places? Um, But I, but that's what I always will say in return, you know, America, we are doing so well. Yeah. You know, I mean, even there was a guy on the way home today, he's got his sign at the intersection asking for food says he's hungry. He's not starving to death. You know, these people, they're not dying of uh, exposure, you know, in Paraguay, they live in cardboard boxes. They have these huge shanty towns. Um, some of them have like corrugated metal for the roofs that's, you know, you're doing pretty well if you have that. Mm. Um, the Dominican Republic wasn't quite that bad. Um, the family, my family that I stayed with had a house that they had built. They're squatting on someone else's land, Mm. but you know, the, the landowners don't care. They're like never there. Um, but in Paraguay Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's like dirt poor.
0: Well, and I think people don't realize it when they, um, you know, you live in America, you think a poor person is a poor person. Well, a poor person somewhere else is very different and you get at least that perspective. So you can bring that, you know, knowledge and experience to your patients and your life here. So yeah, really cool.
1: That's significant. Yeah. I I've almost forgot, Michelle. It's a good thing you mentioned I that. I totally forgot about all the service. <laughs>
0: yeah. and, and that's kind of a nice, I mean, you have this skill that you can go to these countries and really help them make a difference. And you can take obviously as much time as you want to do that, you know, according to your schedule. So that, that to me is a huge perk of what you do.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. It's really significant. And you can if you don't want to do that stuff, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to help. You don't have to take Medicaid. Most dentists Mm -hmm.
0: don't.
1: You don't have to go on service trips. You don't have to see someone who who doesn't shower. You know, you don't there's a lot of things about it that are not glamorous at all. And it doesn't appeal to a lot of people. You don't have to do that as a dentist. Mm -hmm. Um, but some people I think find that more rewarding. Like I do, some people will find that more rewarding than a big, big paycheck. Sure.
0: Well, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do this. Um, before we wrap up, I was wondering if you could share with us, some, you know, advice that you could offer either in general to young people who might be starting their career out or even to people who might be interested in this type of job. What, what advice would you have to offer?
1: Um, I would say, make sure it matches your
0: personality, you know,
1: um, make sure you lend you naturally lend towards that, um, and find someone to mentor you find a, a dentist, um, nearby, um, go to the dental school. Hopefully there's, you know, maybe there's a dental school nearby where you can ask questions and spend time with some students or a dentist and make sure you make a change. If you need to make a change, you know, if it's not the right thing for you, get out, you know, do something different. Mm -hmm. If you're in a practice, if you're in an office that you don't like, um, get out, make a change, you know, I think that would be
0: pretty big. Do, do dentists, like, do you apply for jobs online or do you like, yeah, yeah,
1: actually. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the one I found in Humboldt Park, I found that one on Craigslist.
0: <laughs> nice. Okay. I'm sure over time you start to network, you get to know people, you mentions, yeah. you know, and it becomes like that over time, but first getting out of school, who knows, you know? Um, well, there's a lot of organizations in school too. Like there's the,
1: um, what is it? as the American Student Dental Association. Um, And they have conventions so you can meet kids and other students in other schools. Um, I was involved in that. We were pretty much all involved in that. And then um, also I was in the dental school uh, fraternity. Mm -hmm. Um, So I lived, we in Ann Arbor, we had a frat house, um, which was pretty funny to think. Um, And I lived in there. So that was helpful for me because um, I got to meet upperclassmen. Right. So it was easy to get help when I needed it from the older kids. Cause in school, dental school, it's kind of like a school where you kind of only know your own class. Sure, You know, you're not really the first year students are not really interacting much with the fourth year students. Mm-hmm. You might need to, you know, I would just say you need to learn how to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to find a mentor. You need to ask questions Um, figure out what can make you, um, attractive to, to what you want, you know, to the schools you want to get into.
0: So did you have a mentor in college? Um, I did,
1: I would say, yeah, I had several. Um, I had, there was a female prosthodontist that I spent a lot of my time being terrified of (laughs) when I was in dental school. And then I realized she was amazing and that I loved her. Um, And I had a good relationship with someone that I met in, um, the upper peninsula of Michigan on one of our externships. Um, she gave me a lot of good advice. She was a dentist, um, my family dentist. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of people, um, you know, I would say in general, dentists want to help each other out. You know, it's a, it's a profession. I think where we're pretty supportive of each other. That's great. Yeah, which is pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nice.
0: That is nice. That's really nice. Um, and it sounds like there are a lot of female dentists. A lot of there really are. Mm-hmm.
1: Um my class, I think, was about 50 50,
0: mm-hmm. male oh, okay. and female.
1: That's great. Yeah. I mean, nowadays there's so many people, myself included, who would prefer to see female health care professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people you know, it's still a stereotype. So it's not helpful. But a lot of people assume that a woman is going to be more gentle, because she's a woman, or she's going to have, you know, tiny hands, because she's a woman, um, which is true for me, for sure. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's still kind of a stereotype. And that, you know, I know a lot of female dentists who are oral surgeons, and you, you know, you got to be strong, and you got to be able to get the job done to be an oral surgeon. Mm -hmm. So you know, some stereotypes. I don't know. Yeah, Well,
0: I like the idea that there's a lot of different avenues. So if you're interested in it, you know, once you get out there, you kind of what you want to do. Uh, I think you really can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. It's been so good to see you again and catch up. Yeah. It's nice to see you. You look good. Thank you. You do too. Thanks. Um,
1: It's nice to see you guys. Thank you for asking me. Yeah.
0: It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you
1: so
0: Thanks much. guys. It's been fun. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in and showing your support. Continue the conversation and find links to everything we discussed at AmericanCareerStories.com.